Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm David Kosh and welcome to The Call on Ausbiz and a big welcome to viewers watching us on Flash. Uh, what's The Call, you ask? Well, it's one hour, two experts and 10 stocks chosen by you every weekday. Index behemoths to microcaps, we cover them all and you get a buy, hold or sell from Australia's best money managers. So let's get right into it with two of the best. Andrew Page from Strawman joins us uh, this afternoon. Andrew, good to see you. Michael Wayne Hello, from Medallion Financial is with us as well. Good, good to, to see you. In the, in the flesh, in the, in the studio here at our Barangaroo studios, which is terrific. So uh, we've got a lot happening today. And before we get into uh, your 10 stocks, you've suggested I choose a stock of the day. I thought we'd take a look at A2 Milk out today. They have their investor day. Um, and warning of a prolonged period of reduced profitability as the business was upended by COVID and changes in its crucial China market. The company going, uh, adding consumers in China, uh, no longer actively prioritising international brands and regulation of its industry in, uh, from Beijing is anticipated to change more rapidly. In response, A2 says it will look to expand its infant formula portfolio in a bid to appeal to more consumers and maximise distribution. So it's in the calls portfolio. So time for a bit of a, a reassessment. Um, Michael, what do you think of uh, A2 being absolutely hammered? I got in the calls portfolio uh, about two or three months ago by yeah. one of the, the panels um, saying it's great management been smashed by the China issue and there was an expectation of be able to bounce back. Look, I can see why people would think that, um, but when the company's going, I think this is their fourth, maybe even their fifth downgrade in yep. like 18 months or so. Um, ideally, I think you want to see that turnaround story start to play out before you, you jump in. Um, management have come out today and listed numerous uncertainties, you know, ranging from the China uh, childbirth rate um, <laughs> to the, the, you know, the, the lower tier cities in China no longer being in love with A2 Milk and focusing on some of the more local products. So these things are going to take some time to play out. From reading the headlines briefly, it does seem like management have come out really and just cleared the decks, yeah. going for a fresh start, really setting expectations as low as possible. It, it reminded, <laughs> it was so bad, it reminded me of a new chief executive That's that right. gets into a company and goes, right, I'm just going to clean the cupboard That's out, right. start afresh and, and build my bonuses from here. Yeah, what do they say? Lower expectations <laughs> to achieve success. So yep. that's yep. essentially what I think's happened today. Look at that, and almost uh, 20 bucks down to six in a year. It's a company we had held in the past and going back to previous roles and, and previous jobs as well. It's a company that we liked. Um, it was a, a very simple business model. You package up someone else's infant milk formula, you brand it quite yeah. nicely, market it nicely, and then all the Chinese people coming to Australia, bringing it back home to China. And they weren't really selling through conventional channels. And that really came home to roost with COVID, obviously, when we couldn't have any people come into the country or leave. Yeah. So hopefully that does start to pick up for them again over time. But I don't think it's going to bounce back near as quickly. And, and in that interim, it seems as though other products and, and other brands have filled the, the, their gap, so to speak. So it's not going to be an easy turnaround. And I think that's becoming more and more clear uh, as time goes on. So you wouldn't be buying it at those I would levels. be very, very careful yeah. still. Um, Andrew, what do you reckon of A2 Milk? And everyone talks about Digaus and that channel as, uh, as uh, Michael was talking about. But basically, they were Chinese international tourists and students who would go basically to uh, Chemist Warehouse or Coles and buy up all the milk formula and ship it back and charge extortionate prices. Um, from their relatives and friends. 
Yeah, and it was it was a it was a very valuable item over there. There was some issues uh, in years gone by with some uh, tainted locally produced product. Australia was seen as very clean, very green, particularly with the English label um, product out there. Um, so it was it was profitable for everyone. But China is really this double-edged sword. I mean, we saw the same with Blackmores not too long ago. You know, when you start to get a bit of traction there. This is such a massive market that, you know, you, you start to see some really strong sales growth there. The multiples go up as the market continues to extrapolate. But we've also seen how fast that market, how, how quickly the rug can be pulled out from underneath you here. Now, COVID's obviously an extraneous factor. That's no one particular person's fault here as well. But you've now got some really big shifts happening in China, increasing nationalism there. The, the Chinese government wants local manufacturers to make up something like 60% of consumption within the next three years. Michael talked about falling birth rates and, and other factors there at play and just increasing competition. So it's really, I think this points to uh, the dangers of extrapolation um, in, in these kinds of markets where things can change so rapidly. So could they get back to where they were potentially? Would I bet on it? I don't, I don't think so. Um, it's just too much uncertainty. I've, I've got to say personally for me as well, I'm always a little bit nervous of companies whose, whose uh, product claim is a little bit spurious. There's a lot of health benefits touted with this kind of stuff, but I've, I've yet to see any hardcore evidence that that's the case. So you are very much reliant on, on some pretty good marketing there. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a commodity. And, um, you know, there's other people are able to produce this kind of stuff. Uh, consumer sentiment can change very, very rapidly. So it's one of these things where is it impossible that they, they turn around? Absolutely not. But even if that's the case, I think it's going to take a while. And if they don't, uh, things are going to be very difficult for a long time. So I suspect it's a value trap, but it's just too risky for me. I'm going to stay yep. away. Okay. All right, Charlie wants a view, uh, Andrew, on the Vanguard US Total Market Share Index ETF. Um, what do you think of this one? Are you are you into ETFs? I actually um, get exposure to the US market through ETFs because right. partly I'm lazy and, and, and also because there's just so many opportunities for me here. If I had a couple of billion dollars that I just couldn't allocate locally, then, then I'd probably be a lot more active there. So... I think ETFs are great, um, yeah. particularly if you're the kind of person who doesn't really get off on this kind of stuff. And let's face it, most people don't. So if reading uh, financial statements and business models is not your thing and you prefer to do other things, I think they're a wonderful vehicle for just set and forget kind of investing. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think they've got a lot of value. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on, on your point of view, there's been a real explosion in this. So there's a lot of there's ETFs, which really sort of started out as this broad index tracking thing. And now you've got a lot of sort of niche sort of uh, products out there as well. But look, the Vanguard, Vanguard, I think, are the gold standard when it comes to our ETF providers. They're absolutely the lowest cost ones that are out there. They're very much part of their core strategy. So your management fee on this ETF is 0.03%. So wow. I'll put that in context. For every 10 grand you've got invested in this, Vanguard will take $3 off you at the end of the year. And when I say take it off you, it comes out of the fund, so you never see any money yeah. coming out. It's, it's, it's very, very uh, cheap. It's very, very low risk. You've got the entire US market in, in this case, so not just the top 500, but virtually every listed equity that's in the United States. Performed very well historically. It'll give you 1.3% yield. Look, it's the kind of investment that, you know, you're never, you're never going to make a fortune overnight, but you're never going to lose all your money. And as we know from history that, you know, market tends to be a really great long-term bet. So I, I think you could do far worse. Um, it's It's... Yeah, it's it's not super sexy, but but it's it's very hard for me to tell someone don't buy something like this um, yeah. when it is such a great provider, very very low yeah. cost, very very broad exposure into the biggest equity market in the world. So you so can't go too wrong. It's basically an exact mirror of of the American market. It it is yeah. Yes. Um, so it's not yeah. So it's it's the total market share. So there'll be a lot of stocks that are outside of the ASX 500 and the rest of it in there, but it gives you exposure to everything. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, if, if you believe in the, in the in the future of uh, the the world, essentially in capitalism, it's probably a pretty good bet to make. Yep. Yeah, Michael. Pretty. What do you reckon? Because uh, you know, it is everything, isn't it? It's literally four thousand stocks or something. Yeah. So if you want just U.S. market exposure, this is your best way to play it. Yeah. You'll get everything from the S and P five hundred to the Nasdaq to some of the Russell two thousand sort of smaller, medium sized stocks. 
Um, and over time, it's done very, very well. But you've got to keep in mind that this is an unhedged ETF. So if you look at the last 10 year performance, it's done about 20% per annum. But in that time, the Aussie dollar has gone from parity to 75 cents. So you've got a nice currency boost in that environment. Right. So you do need to be careful that if the reverse does play out and the Aussie dollar for whatever reason rallies strongly, this will, be, this will hurt your investment in this particular, um, right. this particular ETF. But by and large, if you want all things US, including the currency exposure, this is your one-stop shop, so to speak. You never really have to look at it again. You just hold it, and so over the you, years, would you prefer a hedged one? Oh, that, look, it depends that takes on the individual. The risk of currency. Well, it depends. If the Aussie dollar was at parity, I'd probably want an unhedged one. Just looking yeah. at historical ranges that the Aussie dollar trades in, we're sort of somewhere in between the top of that range and the bottom of that long-term range. So at the moment, I think you could easily buy this and just sit on it okay. with a with a multi-year if not multi-decade time frame. Okay, all right. So put your boat down as a buy for it. Yeah. Someone wants to, yeah. Okay. Uh, Sam wants to view Michael. Uh, this hasn't come up before. Uh, Red flow. Uh, yeah. I didn't know much about it. It's um, what well, they uh, manufacture batteries, which anyone thinks batteries, yeah. they think <laughs> EV vehicles and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, it seems to be sexy at the moment, but um, they recently raised uh, some money, didn't get the whole of it away, which was uh, a bit of a flag. Uh, but Redflow says the $9.6 million raise from uh, investors would be used to uh, uh, continue to develop the business and, uh, and also accelerate growth in, the, growth in the US market. So this is a company that's been listed for 10 years now. Um, right. It never really did well after listing, maybe the first few days, but ever since then it's been on a bit of a downward trend. Maybe it was a situation that they were a bit ahead of their time before everyone was catching on to the theme and the thematic of, of battery storage and yep. electric vehicles and all that sort of stuff. They were already in this market, but even 10 years later, the revenue growth is, uh, the revenue numbers are still pretty small by an absolute terms. Earnings are, don't exist. Um, as you mentioned, they've struggled recently to get a bit of a a capital raising away, but there are some positive signs. They signed their biggest order recently. But for this company, um, you would want to see it, I think, starting to deliver, particularly in this day and age when everyone is yeah. clued into this. So from my standpoint, I just don't understand what their advantage is over others. Is their battery technology that superior to some of their competitors? Um, and I'd have to say probably not when you look at the likes of Tesla and some of the other alternatives out there that are emerging in this space. So. It's in, a, it's in the right thematic, you would think, but if a business can't do well, even when their thematic is being supported nicely, then it does raise questions about how they're gonna perform if things don't yes. go so well for them. So for that reason, it's highly yep. speculative. I don't know enough about it, so it's a sell. Yep. Um, Andrew, Michael's got, got a good point. If, if, if you're a battery manufacturer and you're not sexy in this day and age, uh, when are you gonna be sexy? <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately with the market, you have to actually back that sexiness up with a bit of cash flow uh, eventually. But look, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I agree with Michael, this is highly early stage, highly speculative, but they are, there's a bit of a point of difference here. These, these aren't the lithium batteries. These are what's called flow uh, batteries, uh, which are a little bit more environmentally friendly. They tend to hold their charge. They're really good for holding charge for a very, very long uh, uh, time. There's no what they call thermal runaway, so they don't, these things don't catch fire. They've got advantages in certain use cases, and the business has spent a long time and a lot of money trying to develop up this, this kind of uh, technology. They've actually got 160 installments around uh, the, the country at this point in time. That's up 400% since 2019. So they're still bleeding cash as they try and scale all of this up. They make a lot of uh, note of the, the tailwinds here, which are just phenomenal. One thing that really caught my eye, they say that the global energy storage market is forecast to be 36 times larger in 2030 as compared with 2020. So it's a phenomenal tailwind. But we also know that this is a highly competitive market. There's a lot of money going into R&D in this space. Thank goodness, right? This is exactly the kind of investment you like to see. So I really wish them uh, a lot of success. Uh, but about nine million in the bank on my reading, they burnt through about two and a, and a half million almost just in the last quarter. So they are likely to, going to need to, to raise a, a bit of capital. I would say again, um, it's it's about it's about. And they, they also reckon they've got a bit of traction in terms in this particular niche area of the market as well over some of their competitors. And we we know that 
sales are always easier when you can point to some really high profile reference sites and maybe that will help them. So it's the kind of business I'm really glad that is out there. I think that they're doing good things. I acknowledge that it's a very, very tough market, but it's also well outside of my circle of confidence. I think investors have to go beyond this first order thinking of batteries are going to be great. These guys do batteries. Ergo, I'm going to buy this this stock. Yep. Uh, it's, it's more nuanced than that. And, and you know, uh, a 20 minute sort of read through a few presentations this morning do not position me well to speak authoritatively on it. But I would say do your homework, be reasonable, um, understand the early stage and, and speculative nature of it. If they go well from here, sky's the limit. But, but we know statistically that, that often that's not the case. So be very careful. It's, it's an avoid for me just because I haven't done enough due diligence on it and also the stage of, the, of, of where the business is at. But I wish them every success. They're doing yeah. great things. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's go from uh, maybe not so sexy to really sexy. And uh, Louise wants a view, Andrew, on uh, on Afterpay, the uh, buy now, pay later behemoth that is uh, taking on the world and um, doing the um, about to be taken over by Square and become part of Square. Well, that's it. I mean, you don't. The question isn't so much about what do you think of Afterpay. The question here is what do you think of Square because they're going to acquire them. And for every, I think you're going to get for every zero point three seven five shares in Square for every share you own in Afterpay. And it looks very likely it's going to go through. That transaction likely to settle in the first quarter of next year, so in the next four to six months. So, uh, you know, what's the currency going to do? Uh, sorry, what's what's the Square share price going to do in that time? What do you think of Square? Jack Dorsey founded business, a phenomenal success, huge momentum. It's, it seems uh, a really great business, um, although one that is that is pretty fully priced. But again, um, it just I don't feel comfortable commenting on it because, as I just admitted before, I'm not particularly focused on the U.S. market. Don't have any particular insight into it. But what I would say to Louise is, the, I mean. Square's about seven or eight times bigger than Afterpay. Um, so the question really here is, you know, look at look at what you think of, of Square. If you don't know or don't have an opinion, then there's no point in buying Afterpay. Um, uh, so that's kind of where it sits. So so for me, it's uh, it, it's it's a no only because not because I don't like it, just because I don't know enough about Square, and that is really the question. And and uh, Andrew Andrew's point, Louise is quite right that if you're going to buy Afterpay now you are actually buying Square shares. So it's not, do you like Afterpay, it's do you like Square? Uh, and of course, Jack Dorsey, founder of Twitter, founder of Square as well. And it's really a, a digital small business focused bank. Mm. Uh, and that's why the sort of synergies with Afterpay is pretty good. It gives Afterpay access to Square's customers in the US and for Square, it gives them access to Afterpay's merchants, which are Square's market here in Australia. Uh, Michael, what do you reckon? It's difficult to add anything further. It's been pretty well covered off. Um, investing in Afterpay at the moment is pretty much a mute point on Afterpay yeah. itself. Um, yeah. The fact is you're buying, the, the, the share price in Afterpay today will just really fluctuate the way that Square share price fluctuates in the US. Um, Square, for those people that aren't aware, in many retailers, particularly smaller retailers these days, you see the little white square that you tap your credit yes. card on or your phone, you hover your phone over. So that's part of Square's overall business. But Afterpay will make up only a, a small fraction of the overall Square business. So as rightly pointed out by Andrew, you really need to have a view on Square. It's been a, a wonderful success story. Um, it seems to have you know, the world at its feet, but then again, it trades on close to 200 times trailing uh, earnings. So right. it's extremely, extremely expensive, uh, even for some of these high flying tech names. So if you can get your head around that and you like the and like where Square is going, then by all means, hold on to your Afterpay shares. You will be given an option to either take Square shares listed in the US or Square shares listed in Australia via CDI. Um, so that's the decision that needs to be made when looking at Afterpay now, unless you really think that there's going to be a bigger, better offer coming in from left field from somewhere at an even bigger premium to where Afterpay was trading on. So that's probably a, a very far-fetched possibility, but it is a small possibility yeah. nevertheless. So would you buy Afterpay shares on this deal to get into Square? I'll probably just buy the Square shares or right. wait till Square listed their CDI in Australia and then look at it then. Right, okay. All right, so not at the moment. 
All right, uh, Carly wants a view on Alcidian. Carly says, um, wants a view, a long-term view on this one. Alcidian is a software company, but really focuses in on the healthcare sector, particularly hospitals. It sort of, uh, um, it uh, does software to, to track patient records and things like that. Um, just given a three month update with um, a, a good increase in revenue up 17% on the previous corresponding quarter, uh, and also signed some uh, some new deals with uh, some UK hospitals as well. Uh, Michael, yep. what do you reckon of Alcidian? So I've given Andrew credit for this one before, uh, probably you know 18 months ago almost now, when Ozobiz started out, this was one of the first shares that came up. Right. And um, Andrew put it on for me, and I went away, had a look, and we've been buying it for clients, and we've done very well off the back of it. Right. It has pulled back um, a fair way now from its sort of record 52-week highs. As you can see, got up towards that 47 cent mark. It's pulled back a little bit since then. Um, very good quality uh, emerging sort of health tech company. Um, they've managed to, to build up some very good technology across a number of different parts of the healthcare uh, market. But essentially, if you think about the old clipboard at the end of the bed, yep. it's looking to remove that. It helps with rostering and, and rotation of staff and, and rotation of beds and patients and making sure everyone's up to date as to what exactly that patient has had. Have they had their Panadol? What's their blood rate been and blood pressure been? Um, all that sort of stuff. So very good business. Now it's a matter of them going around and signing up as many hospitals and clinics as they can globally um, and rolling out this technology across as many of those as possible. And they've had a pretty good run rate. And it's, it's pretty easy to have visibility over this year's coming revenue because you look at the contracts that were signed in recent times and when they kick in and the way they account for them, it makes it fairly easy to see yeah. that there should be some very good revenue growth in the pipeline. They've also got a very big contract in waiting um, with the ADF, I think it is, in Australia. So this is like a $20 million contract over four or five years or something like that, which is a big chunk of revenue for a business like this. They announced that they wanted to have it signed by this stage a few months ago. Hasn't yet happened. And that's probably taken a little bit of the wind out of the sails, a little bit as the market waits to see if right. that actually gets signed off on. But otherwise, um, provided that that gets, tick, gets the tick of approval, I think they'll resume their upward trajectory because they do continue to win little contracts here and there. And they're pretty good at updating the market as well, which okay. is always a positive. So from my perspective, it's a buy. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, great, great little business. Thanks for the shout out there, Michael. Um, I'll, I'll send you my commission check in the mail uh, uh, invoice. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's one that we know really well. It actually ranks number three on Strawman, despite that very solid appreciation. According to the community, it's not cheap, but it's not expensive either. It's actually sitting pretty close to our fair value estimate, at least at least on a consensus basis. So this is a business that we actually had the, the opportunity to hear from the CEO, Kate Quirk, in our August meeting. She came along and, and did a really detailed Q&A with our members. So we got a lot of insight there. So it's it's easy to sort of use a big a lot of bunch of um, big buzzwords here, healthcare, informatics and all of this kind of stuff. But what they're really doing here is they're not so much replacing a lot of these hospital systems, but they're all, they're actually really layering on top of them and making them a lot smarter. So there's electro electronic medical records, there's sort of uh, all these big infrastructure things. And what they do is they really plug into that and take all of that data and just use put it into a more usable format. And they've even got, you know, AI kind of stuff, really drawing out some actionable things. So it just helps clinicians with, with uh, decision making, task management, event management. They've had a lot of acceleration recently with COVID in terms of their remote patient monitoring and a lot of hospitals took advantage of that and have now seen further um, uh, further opportunity in terms of remote monitoring there. So I think it's really interesting. The thing, the thing to be mindful of here is a very competitive space and they're very, very long sales cycles in this. But, but I think where you can have a little bit of optimism is that there's actually some really great traction here. And they've moved into the UK with great success. The NHS is spending squillions of dollars in upgrading. And they have, one of their goals was to replace pages by the end of 2021. Pages. Uh, this, is, this is the kind of technology that, that sort of exists that, that are out there. Um, uh, and, and they're just doing really well. And, and the thing I'm really, you know, yes, you like to see great technology, um, but when you see that sales traction there, when you see that buildup of that reference client base, it just 
really builds sales momentum in here. And there is a long way to run. So their revenues have jumped 50 something percent in the last couple of years. They operate at near 90% gross margins. Those margins have been increasing. So this is this is one that Look, the, the recent quarterly wasn't well, didn't really you know blow my socks off, but it, it wasn't terrible. And this is something that, as as Carly's pointed out here, yeah, you need to have a long term view on this one. And I think from that basis, I think you I think you could do far worse. I hold shares. The straw man community likes it. Um, I think in in five or ten years, it'll be significantly bigger than where it is today. Okay. All right. So uh, a buy on our city, and and I should imagine COVID and the lack of travel. You're saying it's a uh, a long um, sales cycle would have interrupted that. We had integrated research um, yesterday, um, which the, the panel thought was good buying at this because it's had such a setback uh, from not getting in front of clients. Well-run company. Hopefully it starts to take off after it. Um, I've got some of those as well, but I was too early on, on, on that one. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Um, Simi wants a view, Andrew, on Temple and Webster, the online um, home um, furniture business, household furniture group that uh, did fantastically uh, well in lockdown as a digital business, shot the lights out. What do you think about now? Yeah, I mean, one of these real COVID success stories. I mean, who would have thought uh, at the start of all of this that, you know, people were just going to jump online and buy lots of couches and all of this kind of stuff, but they have. And this is a business that is very much focused on that online um, uh, market. So Harvey Norman's the big gorilla in the Australian market. They they absolutely have the the dominant uh, share. But Jerry's just not really interested in, in online. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I think it's a real opportunity for someone like Temple and Webster, and they've been growing great guns. I think we again have to be mindful that like a lot of businesses that benefited from COVID, there's been a bit of a pull forward of some of this demand. So, you know, you're not going to buy a new couch every year and and, and that kind of stuff. So you've got to be careful with all of that. But I think the space is growing very, very uh, uh, fast. Only something like 10% of the furniture market is online. And that's something that's only likely to grow. They've got some really cool tech here as well. The augmented reality tech, I don't know if you've seen, but you can sort of bring up a couch, point your, you know, point your phone at a corner of your living room and just like superimpose the couch or the, <laughs> they sell more than couches. I've just got no imagination, but you know, whatever piece of furniture it is, you can, you can put over there. And, and I, I, I think there's, I think there's real opportunity here. It is pretty expensive though. It's on a P of 120. But if you if you can, I mean, it's not necessarily crazy. Uh, it's probably for, for, for the valuation reason for me, it's probably a pass because it does it does need to see a lot of things go right. But I, I always like to do a bit of a so what and a what if rather analysis, which I think is is um, useful to sort of help frame whether you think things are expensive or not. So look, if they can sustain something like 20 percent top line growth over the next decade and end up. There's a more mature business with a net margin of around 15%, which is quite quite doable. And they trade on a reasonable margin at that point in time. That, that actually, you know, we do a bit of maths and you kind of get to a share price that's sort of around $13, $14, a bit above, a bit above the current one. Um, but that's that sort of shows you what needs to happen yeah. for this to be a, an attractive investment. So that's really the fundamental question I think investors need to ask here is, is and too often we just sort of see share prices going up and we think, oh, we should we should get on this. But it's more a question of what is that share price implying and do I think that that is reasonable? Um, and, and unfortunately, you can get to a situation where you can actually get some really attractive business outcomes but still do badly as a shareholder because yeah. the market has factored in just even more than that. So because of that, I actually really like the business. I think they've done very well. I think they've got a bright future. It's just it's just that a lot is factored in at this point in, in time. But I also know from, from being involved in the markets for a long time that it's only going to take a bit of a disappointing half or something before the market gets its knickers in a knot and panics and yeah. shares fly yeah. down. And that's, that's probably the reason to keep this on your watch list and, and be a bit more opportunistic. But for me... Yeah. Not at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, it comes up a fair bit. Uh, Temple and Webster, everyone's sort of on, on its case at the moment because of the environment we're in. Um, there's no doubt that the online sphere is what is going to determine the success of this company and the rates of adoption. And, and there's no doubt, in my opinion anyway, that COVID has probably accelerated the rate of online um, yeah. shopping in this country, and that won't go away anytime soon. 
Um, but at the same time, there's definitely been pulled forward demand. It's very hard to distinguish what the, the, the effect as we return to a normal environment, what that's going to be on the business. Everyone's sort of guessing or estimating what earnings are going to be FY 2022. And everyone's expecting growth rates will moderate, but we don't really know by how much just given once people start traveling again and, and going out to restaurants again and you're spending money on other things, what are they gonna be spending on, on couches, chairs, and, and all the different home accessories? So from my standpoint, good quality business, been doing all the right things. It's just very difficult until we start to cycle through this period to get a feel for how they'll come out of yeah. COVID. Okay, so wait and see. Wait and see. All right, let's uh, recap the first uh, five stocks. Uh, A2 Milk, no, from both um, Andrew and Michael. Uh, Vanguard um, Total US ETF covers every stock on the American share market. If that's what floats your boat uh, and and gives you broad range um, uh, coverage to the US, um, Vanguard's really uh, good manager, very low fees. Um, Redflow, a sell from Michael, a no from Andrew, Afterpay, a no from both. Alcidian, a yes. Uh, from both of them, uh, and Temple and Webster are no at this stage. Uh, the, here on the call, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, Navtrade. Any stocks like Alcidian that gets two thumbs up from our experts goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again and doesn't get unanimous approval or a hold, um, then it goes out of the portfolio. Let's check how it's performing, a bit flat for the week. Uh, up almost 3% for the month and uh, so over 7% since the 1st of July this year. Since the 1st of July last year, when it first started, up 45%. Some of the stocks recently added the portfolio. Uh, Clinabel Pharmaceuticals, Phineos Corporation, Nickel Mines, Endeavour, and the BetaShares Global Cyber Security ETF. Some of the stocks removed. Uh, Crown, Star Pharma, um, Alcidium previously, it now goes back in, and points bet. And you can see all the stocks in the ETFs in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We update it each day. Really looking forward to our ESG event tomorrow. I'm uh, doing one of the sessions. So um, ESG investing, of course, is really hot at the moment. So you're going to have a full rundown during the day on that event. So register now and join us. All right. Um, our next stock, Alex wants a view on Linear Technologies. Uh, Michael, it's um, um, basically a, a video software business that um, um, transforms large video files into more flexible files that they can be easily manipulated and worked with. Um, share price hasn't done well over the last couple of years. Uh, what do you think, Michael? It's a very small company, 40 mil, um, not one that I'd come across before. Um, it's quite interesting, the technology, and, and again, just doing the research before the show, having a bit of a read around. If you're putting together, say, you know, top 10 goals from Cristiano Ronaldo, you can go through reams and reams of, of film and you sort of clip the parts that you want to put together and then you put together a video and put it up on YouTube or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously that has applications in, in business, in education, as well as sports. Um, but when you look at the numbers for this business, and I could be stand corrected here, $24,000 in revenue. So it's a very, very small business, losing about one and a half, two million dollars a year. So again, it comes down to having an understanding of what this company does that's maybe different to its competitors uh, and whether it has any long-term future up against some of those bigger names that might be out there. Uh, obviously, again, you can look at that chart, you can see uh, how illiquid something mm. like this is. Um, so once you're in there, it's a, a crab, pot of, crab pot of sorts. It's very difficult to get out with any sizable position. So you would really need to get into the nitty gritty, understand what is driving the business long-term, uh, what stage in their process they're at, are they winning contracts, all this sort of thing, and, and what their path to revenue growth and earnings growth eventually is. And at this stage, I can't answer any, any of those questions. So it's a no-go. Right. Um, Andrew, what do you think of uh, Linnaeus? <clears throat> yeah, like uh, Michael, I hadn't come across it before. Um, <laughs> 
it, it's one of those businesses you sort of you know, read the about section and then you reread it and you read it a few more times and then maybe you jump on Wikipedia and you sort of think, I still don't quite get it. I get the sense that it's it's actually potentially super powerful um, being able to sort of automatically go through your know, huge data sets here and extract the kind of stuff that you want. And in fact, even do that in real time is, is huge. And they've been developing this technology for a while. They are, as I understand it, right on the cusp of commercialization. They've got a uh, pretty good trial they had with Newcastle Uni, I think, which is now sort of starting to roll out. They've a bit of uh, work with the MBL and, and others. So you, you can kind of look at this and sort of say, look, if this technology takes off, I mean, there is there is a massive uh, uh, market opportunity here. And $40 million is dirt cheap for something like this if it gets any any kind of traction, particularly given it's a SaaS kind of business model, which would be very capital-wide, very scalable, likely to have very good margins at scale and, and all of these kinds of things. But it's just it's just so early. And, and there are so many, the ASX is littered with companies that have really cool technology and really good promise that just never, never get anywhere. Um, maybe through bad timing or just misfortune or just a better competitor out there. And this is one of the things that I would want to dig into more. I'm not saying this is definitely a reason to stay away, but if you're going to invest in this, you've got to understand, I know Google perhaps might be doing some work in, in this field and some other massive deep pocketed tech giants um, uh, have got a got a competing product or at least doing one. I don't know. Maybe they buy them out. It's it's one of the it's one of these businesses that if it goes well, you'll make a squillion, and if not, you'll end up probably losing a large chunk of it. So it's a very binary kind of outcome. So if Alex, you're interested in this and you felt as though you got a good handle on exactly what the value proposition is and it's likely sales, you can probably put a little bit of money into it, and then don't be afraid to average up as that thesis plays out. Too many investors stay away thinking, oh, I've missed the boat. But companies like this that eventually succeed, you can buy it at three, four, five, five, 10 times the price and still long-term do very well out of it. But you wanna make sure that you size your position appropriately and be mindful that although the upside is super sexy and exciting, the downside's pretty scary as well. So a bit of a coin flip. And for that reason, I'm, I'm not gonna go near it at this point. Yeah, yeah. if uh, another company in, in sort of the same sector, Atomos comes up, a bit here on the call, which is uh, which is in the video business as well, but turning your iPhone uh, videos into cinema graphic quality, and uh, I'll tell you, it has a deal with Apple and also Elliston, the big uh, fund management group, or a big backer of it. So maybe have a look at that if you're interested in that type of sector. Um, Thea wants a view, Andrew, on uh, AVA Risk Group. The, uh, the security group there in the business of uh, securing uh, perimeters and data networks and things like that. Um, customers in 100 countries, they protect 3,500 different sites uh, and they're doing a return of capital at the moment. Well, they just sold their services division. Uh, this is a business that they just got such an incredible return on themselves. So they'll fly high value artwork and gold bullion and this kind of stuff around the world. And uh, they got out of it. They want to they want to be more of a pure play technology company, which I think was actually a, a pretty good move, um, especially the price that you so I think it's dependent on a um, ATO ruling, but they're looking to return 16 cents per share to to shareholders. I am a shareholder, I should disclose, and I should disclose it's one that does get a bit of coverage on Strawman. It's actually ranked about number 24. And the valuation, uh, according to those who follow it within our, our little community, is, is up about 58 cents. So a bit of a premium uh, to what the current price is trading at. And it's a, it's a pretty cool business. I mean, they have this fiber optic technology that you, know, you wrap around various things. I'm massively oversimplifying this. But then you sort of look at perturbations with a bit of clever software and you can kind of detect when there has been a perimeter breach. And, and, and in fact, the, the application for this is quite large. They're talking about doing this in terms of conveyor belts on mine sites. You could even put it on rail lines. You know, as, as, as cities get smarter, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of potential here. A lot of really good IP here, a lot of good sales traction. They've been growing really well. Um, in fact, viewers could search the Osbys website because when um, we had the Strawman Classic competition last year, we actually managed to interview the CEO, which gave us some good insights there as well. So I, I'd encourage people to check that out. So uh, good contracts long term with some very big blue chip clients. They also do uh, they also do um, uh, secure uh, um, what's the word for it? So uh, 
access technology, so biometric scanners and this other kind of stuff. Right. But the really exciting part is this is this future fiber technologies. I like it. I'm a shareholder. I think it's a good long-term buy. So it's a buy for me. Michael? I hadn't heard of this one uh, either, but this is one that did pique my interest a little bit, just looking at the balance sheet. You look at all those key metrics, revenue's been growing very nicely. They've turned profitable on the income side of things. They've, their dividend's been growing, margins look very good. And then to top it off in more recent times, they've sort of sold down this part of their business, which has put them in a very strong cash position, uh, which enables them to move forward into the next growth phase, not only return capital to shareholders, but they'll obviously be able to retain some of that uh, to drive their next phase. So interesting company. Um, I don't know nearly enough about it and, and nowhere near as much as Andrew, so I can't give it a, a buy as much as I would like yeah. to, but I would definitely go away and have a bit more of a look at this because they seem to be doing a lot of things right across a lot of different industries um, and, and a lot of different countries and, and yeah, different sectors so as well. if you've got it, hold it. If you've got it, hold it for sure, yeah. I think, from my standpoint, but I can't give it a buy because I don't sure. know enough. Okay, Tom wants to view uh, Michael on Elders, the big uh, agricultural services uh, business that was uh, once described to me as sort of this is almost Australia's agricultural ETF. Seems to have a bit of everything in agriculture <laughs> from a finance company to real estate to, to owning stock and selling stock, auction houses, the whole lot. Um, Tom wants a view saying, is this a potential play against inflation? And uh, just doing a, a bit of research behind it, um, a couple of fund managers put it in, in that yeah. basket. Uh, inflation figure out. It's been a very been strong performer in, in recent years. And as you touch upon, it's vertically integrated across every aspect of, yep. of the rural industry. Um, and historically, one of the few things that does well in real terms in inflationary times is commodities yep. uh, and real assets. Um, so, I mean, elders, they do everything from providing the fertilizers to farmers to, as you say, auction houses for cattle. They do land sales and Cattle prices have been extremely high uh, for a yeah. long time now. Uh, rural property prices have been going through the roof, a lot of consolidation of smaller freeholds. Um, so at the moment, all parts of their business seem to be moving in the right direction at the same time. It, but it wasn't that long ago that Elders was struggling to yeah. survive. Um, so, you know, you get you know, enough droughts, uh, you get some, some disease or you get very high um, fertilizer costs or, or cattle prices in you know, overseas markets don't move your way or wheat crops aren't as good and things can turn around very quickly for you. So it's in a real so sweet spot it's in, moment, I think it couldn't it? get better for this business and that's right. really been the case for the last 18 months or so, maybe even a bit longer. So just be wary of that. I mean, I think often with agriculture companies, you want to be counter-cyclical. Yeah. Um, I'm not convinced that, you know, agriculture type businesses are best suited for for listed stock markets, I think it's better in private hands more often than not. You look at sort of Australian Agriculture Co. Um, you look at some of the ones that have been on the market in the past, yeah. like Webster's, etc. They've never really done very well on the ASX, same with even Grain Corp. But once they're in private hands and you start splitting up those assets, the valuations tend to be greater. Um, but Look, I think you could do a lot worse than elders in this environment, but I wouldn't bank on it necessarily doing well just because inflation does well. There's got to be a lot of other things that move in their favour as well. I mean, you've got to take into account what's happening overseas and other geographical regions. Just because Australian agriculture is doing well at the moment doesn't necessarily mean it's doing well in other parts of the world. So, And that can flip around and reverse pretty quickly. So for mine, it's a hold, but I'm not a buyer. Right. Okay. Andrew, what do you think of, uh, think of elders? Yeah, I mean, it's a great business for what they do. Um, been very successful. Shareholders have done pretty well over the last five or ten years. Um, but I'm a I'm a pretty simple man. I'm not a very smart man. <laughs> this is just really hard. Not only is the business massively complex, but it operates in a highly variable, uncertain industry. Um, and as Buffett tells us, you don't get any extra points for degree of difficulty in investing. So, you know, is is it? it it doesn't mean that it's a terrible company and people who hold it know it well are probably shaking their fists at the screen right now and I, I wish you all the very best of luck but I only I know I say this all the time I only really need 15 20 top stocks in my portfolio and there's just there's just lower hanging fruit lower bars to step over in terms of complexity and and that and I tend to look for businesses that have pretty good visibility I mean Michael was talking before about Alcidians um, 
uh, revenues and how you tend to get a pretty good foresight on that just the way that they report things is very different with elders so could could be up twice as much uh, in this time next year it could be half and that's that for me is is enough reason to to, to walk away and I think in a lot of investors would be really well served with just just having that humility to to put things in the too hard basket um, you know uh, and and this one is definitely in the too hard basket for me so it's a yeah. pass yeah yeah and uh... A lot of people uh, like Michael say with these sort of stocks, if you look at that five-year graph, you uh, uh, you buy it around the three and six dollar mark when everyone hates it when there's floods or droughts mm. or collapsing commodity prices. It will always turn around, and that's when to buy it rather than at the at the sweet spot. Um, yep. Andrew, we've got uh, Sean wanting a view on another ETF, uh, another American ETF. Uh, this isn't a total market one, but focuses on the S&P 500, the iShares S&P 500, which is hedged to the Australian dollar. Yeah, so um, well, I had a look at it and, and it said that it had less than 10 holdings. And how does that work out? Well, they basically hold the, the unhedged version and then they hedge around that. Right. Um, so it's a question or not whether or not that's what you want to do. Michael made some really good comments on that earlier, so I won't rehash it. For my money, I tend to think that it's it's something, if you're a long-term investor, I personally wouldn't bother with too much. There are costs associated with hedging and hedging can, can hurt you. It can absolutely go against you, uh, as it has from the Aussie dollar going from a dollar back to 75 cents over, over a certain period of time. So it wouldn't have helped you historically on, on that basis. So I also tend to think here, the really the real dominant driver of these kinds of assets are gonna be the earnings. And, and earnings, you look at some of the big businesses that make up the S&P 500, how they have grown recently. So it would be a pretty bold view over the next 10 years to say that the the Aussie dollar is, is going to grow against the greenback at 10 or 15% per annum or conversely go the other way. So it tends to have an impact, obviously it does it, but for that impact, tends to be a very secondary one next to the underlying earnings uh, driver underneath it. So if you've got a short to medium term view and you were particularly worried about the currency potentially, but for my money, I, I prefer just to go with the, un, the unhedged, roll, roll with the yep. punches and know that over time, it's gonna be a less, less dominant factor than other things. Yep, Michael. Um, this is a very different ETF to the one we touched upon earlier, yeah. just being S&P 500, which means you've got to be very comfortable with the FANGs because although you're getting exposure to a passive index, you've really, you've got probably 20, 30, 40% yeah. just in Facebook, Amazon, Netflix. Google, Netflix, yep. do all the names that you can think of, but basically very tech focused. Um, those companies have done incredibly well over five, 10 years. And then you look at the performance, that's what's driven the, the strong performance in the S&P 500. The question is, will that be replicated going forward? There's a good chance that it will. Um, but you can also understand how maybe the tech names that drove the index over the last decade mightn't be as big a driver going forward. Yeah. So you're not as diversified, more reliant on those big fangs. So just do keep that in mind. But again, it's a low cost, cheap exposure to the US markets. Um, I'll probably go for the unhedged version. This is a hedge version, but you yep. could do worse than this. Okay. And our final stop, Michael Ben wants a view on Hello World, the, uh, um, the, the big travel company, if you like, very similar to, uh, to Flight Centre, um, uh, but also has a government as a, uh, yeah. a really big client of it. I'm pretty sure that recently got renewed as yes. well for them, which is key. Um, often gets overlooked. You hear a lot about mm. flight center, webjet, corporate travel, but Hello World leading up to COVID was as good as those other ones in yep. terms of balance sheet performance. So for the same reasons that you would buy a webjet or a flight center, you could easily look at Hello World as well. Um, they do have a big physical store presence, a lot of franchises, yep. which is potentially problematic. That's why our preference has been for the webjet playing this tourism turnaround, as well as Sydney airports, Auckland international airports, but looking at these pure travel operators. So, I mean, Hello World, from my standpoint, is definitely a good quality business, has been well run for a long period of time. Um, I would prefer Webjet, so that's why I'm going to go on a hold, but it uh, could be a tentative buy as well. Okay. Um, Andrew, what do you think of Hello World? Of course, um, run by Andrew Burns, who was one, one of the founders of A lot of similarities to Flight Centre, where Screw Turn are still involved with Flight Centre. They're, they're both founder-run. 
I prefer Flight Center, and like Michael, I think Webjet's even better than the two of them. Um, I, I don't know. It's, I, I, it's just a very hard, typically low margin, low return on equity business. I mean, generally the return on equity for Hello World's been around five to ten percent, which kind of caps out what your earnings growth is, is ever going to be at here. Um, I just think that. These are the kind of stocks that people get interested in after they have this sort of strong rally. So you get, again, it's this what Howard Marks would call first order thinking here. So you sort of go, oh, we're opening up now. And and I actually heard anecdotally got a friend who works in this space and she was saying that, oh my God, they've been run off their feet. I mean, everyone in the country is booking something. So they're going to, compared to last year, they're going to have some phenomenal numbers. But, you know, shares have doubled in the last two months yeah. here. You know, so it's kind of... I think I think people have to you have to go beyond that. It's not just is is travel going to come back, but is is as has the market factored that in or not? And I feel to to a large degree perhaps that has. And even without that, just in normal times, you, you've got a you've got a business here that's in a highly competitive space in a highly variable industry with a business that doesn't have a terrible track record, but it's not exceptionally exciting either. Um, so for me, it's it's a pass. Um, it, it, again, but maybe they just absolutely shoot the lights out. Um, maybe they don't. Too hard. Yep. Not interested. Okay. All right. All right. That's uh, our 10 stocks for today. Andrew Page from Strawman. Always great to have you aboard. Thank you. And check out the Strawman website as well. And uh, uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion. Mate, always good to see you. Good to see you, you back in, in the flesh. Yep, too right. All right, let's uh, recap the final five stocks. Linear, a no from both. Um, AVA Risk, um, a yes from uh, from Andrew, a hold from uh, Michael. Elders, a no from Andrew, a hold from Michael. Uh, the iShares, S&P 500, a no from both. And Hello World, uh, a hold from, uh, from Michael, a no from Andrew. But both uh, in that travel sector prefer Webjet. Uh, that's our show for today. If you've got any stocks you'd like us to cover and for me to put to our expert panel, put them in an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Uh, check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We'll check you again tomorrow, same time for another edition of the call. Mm-hmm.